Jingophilia. Hello, fellow Anglophiles. Welcome to Anglophilia. I'm Kaylee McMahon. I'm Stephanie Callis, and today we are going to be discussing, I don't know, maybe a show that finally made me realize that I'm an adult and it's okay to be a bad one. (laughs) (laughs) Peep show. And this is going to be outrageous. Oh my god. It is, and hopefully contagious. Tell your friends. (laughs) Peep Show was created by Jesse Armstrong, Sam Bain, and Andrew O'Connor. It stars David Mitchell and Robert Webb, who originally met at Cambridge University in the 90s, because of course they did. It also stars Matt King, Neil Fitzmorris, Izzy Suchi, Patterson Joseph, and Academy Award winner Olivia Coleman. Get it, girl. Get it. It premiered in 2003 and ran for nine seasons, with the final one airing just a couple years ago in 2015. The show centers around Mark Corrigan and Jerry. Jeremy Usborne, two Croydon flatmates navigating their way through their late 20s and 30s with a unique Generation X perspective, which we actually get to hear via narration. Their relatable dysfunction, both in their private thoughts and public actions, help make Peep Show stand out amongst other sitcoms about young people who repeatedly screw things up. David Mitchell won a BAFTA in 2009 for his performance, and the show was pretty much nominated most of the years that it aired. Peep Show could have gone on indefinitely, but Mitchell and Webb agreed before signing on for a ninth season that it should be the final one. Robert Webb did tell one interviewer, the premise is two young men sharing a flat. Now it's two men in their 40s sharing a flat. It felt like it was becoming a different show. To which David Mitchell added, I think as much as it's sad to stop doing it, we are getting too old to play those characters. But Christ, you and I are at a perfect age to fucking love these characters. So let's dive in. This show is so fun and it does seem so unique because of the voiceover and the whole conceit is that the reason it's called Peep show is that it's all POV shots. So usually there's a lot of delivering dialogue to the camera if it's just a two-person conversation or sometimes if it's just one person with their inner monologue then you'll just see like the road or the toast that they're toasting. And uh, I've I've heard from some people when I've asked oh my god have you seen Peep Show? It's the best. They say oh I watched it for a couple episodes but I found the camera work kind of distracting and that was something that was a complaint for a lot of the first season but then they streamlined it a little bit in the later seasons and after a while you really don't notice it. It's just a fun way of storytelling like the you know cinematography is not the point no it's just a cute clever gimmick and an entree into the really bizarre and twisted and fucked up but also oh so very relatable and human psyches of these two men it's not a gimmick it's really really it's important I, it's I shouldn't really have, i shouldn't important. have framed it as a gimmick because it's not it's sort of a more high concept thing than a lot of just straightforward regular sitcoms but the other interesting thing about this as far as when we are talking about it is it's one of the first things that we've talked about without a studio audience or or any sort of recorded laughter. True. So it's a lot more naturalistic. So that gives it a much more modern feel than I think even things that came much later. Yeah. And what I think the monologues help with very much, but also the writing in this is just spectacular. Oh my God, I'm already just fangirling like an idiot. But we are thrown into the middle. Yeah. The pilot is just an episode of Peep Show. We are just thrown into these guys' lives together as flatmates. There's yeah. no... There's no inciting incident. I, no! Oh, I have to move nothing. in with you after my divorce. And the very first thing that it opens with is Jeremy, played by Robert Webb, who is the tastiest bit of crumpet. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Before I heard the of crumpet, I thought you just said tastiest bitch, which I would also 
hopefully. Oh, I like that even better. He is the tastiest (laughs) bitch. It's true. But he's listening to his own electronica like dance hit that he's written and produced. And the very first thing we hear him think is, this is fucking wicked. I'm almost definitely a musical genius. (laughs) And we just learn so much about him right there. He's dancing in the mirror, which is also a recurring theme. I love it is when Mark and Jeremy are just face to face with themselves being Mm -hmm. pathetic. And he's talking about getting a tattoo of his own face in the middle of his chest. Yeah, yeah, double me, feel it. That was my first out loud laugh when I saw this for the first time. Tell me about when you saw it for the first time, because I specifically remember I was at work. It was 2015, strangely enough. The year I first watched it was the year that it ended, and it was still on Netflix, and it had been in my recommended queue forever and so my thought was oh well that's probably a horrible show fuck you netflix (laughs) but i finally clicked on it and i was like oh no this is the show that i've always wanted (laughs) it was such a good feeling i first the first episode that i saw actually was the second episode which kind of like how i feel about the plague and father ted works perfectly well as a pilot oh yeah but yeah i saw that episode in college i really loved it and then i just never saw it again it was just one of those things where i saw in a friend's dorm room and then we never pursued it beyond that but i loved it and then i saw a few sketches from mitchell and webb so like those guys were in my mind like oh i like these guys i think they're funny i respect their work and then when you got into Peep Show, you're like, Kaylee, you need to, you need to see this. That was back when it was all on Netflix. Dude, speaking of it being on Netflix, they took it off the day of Trump's inauguration, which felt like specific punishment. It was like, this is why you can't have nice things, America. It was, it was salt in the wound. The wound was already, like, we'd all been eviscerated. And then they just, like, pissed in our innards. Dude, I'm so glad you brought that up. I, I was sitting at reception at work that day and I was like I need Mark and Jez and it was just like this title is no longer available I know I just that was real mean Netflix when I first started watching this I was between apartments of my own so I was deaf like back at mom and dad's house feeling a bit like an idiot so it was perfect that I found a show about people Mm -hmm. around my age fucking things up and I binged like a ton of the seasons at work and then I was home one night with my parents and I said I gotta show you guys something and I put on episode three on the pole Mm -hmm. and they just immediately loved it and then we watched Mark Makes a Friend which was the clincher and then it was time I was like I'm gonna go to bed and my dad goes wait how many seasons are there and I said oh there's currently eight of them and he goes oh and they're on Netflix I said yeah and I'll never forget he goes that is the best news I've ever heard (laughs) (laughs) and now every Christmas since 2015 my older brother will say we should put on the peep show Christmas episode oh that's so wonderful yeah I don't think that I know it as well as you do I've probably only seen the whole thing all the way through like three or four times including these last couple weeks but there are some episodes that I've seen again and again, and I just, oh, I love it to pieces. It's so fucking funny. Yeah. There's so many fantastic lines. Every I line. I feel like I could have filled a whole notebook if I just wrote down everything that made me laugh out loud or that rang especially true. Actually, David Mitchell in his memoir describes the show as an intricate and comically heightened version of urban tedium. I like that very much. It's true. I pointed out that the first thing that we hear Jeremy say is that he's thinking he is a fucking musical genius. And the first thing that Mark is doing when we meet him him is that he Mm -hmm. is running for the bus desperate to catch the bus because Sophie's on the bus Mm -hmm. and then Sophie played by Olivia Coleman goes to sit next to him 
and accidentally sits on his hand. And this is what tells you so much about Mark, is that rather than say, oh, Sophie, I'm so sorry, that was an accident, and move his hand, he just freezes. And he's just thinking, oh shit, what do I do? And it was an accident, mm -hmm. but he just waits until Sophie goes, oh, what's that? Oh, Mark, it's... It's your hand mm -hmm. and makes everything 10 times worse, which is something yes. that he will continue to do with Sophie oh. until the show closes. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's more afraid of confrontation than I think any human ever and of yeah. embarrassment. I drew some parallels between him and some other characters that we've talked about on this podcast. Certainly Basil Fawlty, where he will go out of his way to try to get out of some mild embarrassment and in doing so make it a hundred times worse for himself. Oh, yes. There are concrete examples that we can talk about later when we get into some more specifics of the plot. But yeah, Mark and Jeremy, it's the perfect odd couple. They are exact opposites in a way that doesn't feel cartoonish or forced. Like, I know these people and I am these people. I'd say I'm probably like a 90-10 Mark Jeremy, maybe 80-20 percent if I'm if I'm being generous with myself yeah I think I'm an 80 20 Jeremy Mark well that's why we get along so well I know except like the way that they just go ahead and sabotage each other it's a fascinating relationship they both have a very sadistic hugely self-absorbed streak to the point where it becomes nasty which oh, yeah. I don't see you as having and I don't see myself as well, having although are... perhaps I'm just a narcissist well these these characters I feel like it's important to say at the outset they are terrible people if you look at the actions that they take throughout the series. But even though they're terrible people, I love them so much. And it's because oh, yeah. they're so funny and they're so real. And I think it's because you can hear all of their thoughts. You you know, it's... I, I really don't like the, uh, the thing that people keep saying about certain comedians or <clears throat> heads of state about like, he says what everyone's thinking, but no one says. The key difference, though, is that these guys are just thinking it and they're not actually saying it. You, Thank you. You can still relate to like, oh, I've had that terrible thought that makes me feel like a terrible person, too. The difference is that they don't say their horrible shit out loud. <laughs> but, oh, um, but you still get that little glimpse behind the curtain that makes them more real because like again if you just saw mark who i think is maybe my favorite character i mean i hate him so much but i love him as like he makes me laugh more than anybody else oh yeah but like if you didn't hear his thoughts if you just saw him moving about his day i wouldn't ever think about basil faulty because he doesn't have that cartoonish expression of his explosive emotions he definitely will like blow his lid on more than one occasion, but mostly he's pretty boring in his actions. I'm glad you brought that up because it helps them be more multidimensional than just your average, I'm here to say punchlines in a sitcom kind of character. Of course. But it also kind of helps you at least see how they made the connection from A to B to C to the horrible thing they eventually do. Exactly. It doesn't just come out of nowhere. And I mean, something that I think about is like, I mean, I would never necessarily purposely try to figure out the password on my love objects email purposely so that <laughs> I could stalk him and change my behavior in which to win him over. But is that completely out of the question? <laughs> no. No comment. <laughs> there are things that, you know, you see them do, but you know why they do it because you've heard Mark agonize over how much he likes Sophie for an entire season. Yeah. So when he sees a window to like hack her email, you kind of go, well, I mean, he likes her that much. He's, he's desperate. Yeah. I understand. No, no, it's true. 
Yeah, I feel like we should talk more about these characters and give a background to anybody who hasn't seen the show. I have two lines that I've circled, actually. I have most relatable Markism and most relatable Jeremyism. Lay it on me. The first thing that Mark does that's shitty is that Jeremy is fucking the neighbor, Tony. Trying to. He doesn't until the end of the season. Yeah, he calls Tony his fuck buddy. So then Mark immediately thinks, oh, maybe I can get in on that action too. And tries (laughs) to then steal his buddy's fuck buddy, which is shitty. And a recurring pattern on the show. And a recurring pattern on the show. And so... Mark ends up playing Tony, Jeremy's humiliating, like, prodigy ripoff that he's dancing to in the beginning, and Jeremy walks in on them both laughing at it, and Jeremy gets embarrassed. And the next morning, Jeremy's kind of giving Mark the silent treatment, but he's not outwardly angry, and Mark says, maybe he doesn't mind. Maybe nobody minds about things as much as me. (laughs) And that is a thought I have literally had on so many occasions Mm -hmm. is you're face to face with something and you go, oh, maybe I'm the only weirdo who actually thought this was a big deal. And then in season two, when Jeremy is in Tony's apartment Mm -hmm. and Tony's husband, Tony, is back and they've reconciled Mm -hmm. and Jeremy tries to awkwardly tell Tony when her husband is out of the room, I fucking love you. Mm -hmm. And then... Her husband comes back in and Tony says, Jeremy loves me. And there's this awkward moment where they start making out with each other. And then Tony starts dancing to the song Bitch by Meredith Brooks. (laughs) Like really awkwardly and like sexually. And um, Jeremy just says, God, this is such a mess. It's fantastic. Ah. That is also pure me. Just the chaos seeking. Oh God, look at what I've done kind of great yeah mark and jeremy they're such perfect foils for each other and one of the mark quotes that i wrote down that perfectly encapsulates that is some inner monologue where he says i feel bad when everything's basically fine while he feels good after enduring the most humiliating day of his life it's infuriating and there are other examples of that like there's a scene where they're playing a poker game and mark has a very good hand and then he thinks oh it's pretty good but maybe someone else has a better hand there's no way to know for sure and then he folds meanwhile jeremy's like yep all the reds he's got nothing there's nothing in his hand except that all of the suits are red and then he accidentally bluffs his way into winning the absurd overconfidence and the absurd underconfidence there's a lot of examples of that like there's a scene where jeremy is just at a supermarket checkout stuffing his face and he's got like food all over it and he's looking at the checkout girl and he's like she's probably getting wet just looking at me and meanwhile mark is convinced that no woman is capable of even wanting to ever fuck him and it would be like a complete accident or miracle if it did happen yes i'm actually glad you brought up shopping because because in episode three on the poll, which I think is the first episode where I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm definitely going to watch this to completion and not think about anything else for weeks. It opens with Mark doing the shopping and the monologue is so pathetic. Like an episode of television opens with someone thinking life's all pain, pain, rejection and gloom. Why do we even pretend there's anything but a yawning blankness at the heart of hey, 33% extra free as he's holding a can of plum tomatoes. And then Jeremy comes in and just says, you realize that tinned food is just for crackheads and wars. (laughs) (laughs) So many references to World War II. Oh my fucking God. Talk about Nazi humor, man. Oh, absolutely. So we've talked a little bit about Jeremy and how he is the irresponsible hippie. His room is only half painted orange. He's a total slacker. You know, you you never see him in a suit. He's always just got jeans and a t-shirt on. He's an aspiring musician who never actually does any work and doesn't actually play any instruments but he thinks he's gonna make it because he's just special and amazing and a superstar and meanwhile you have mark the conservative one who works as a loan manager at jlb 
credit. Hates his job, but his main passion is history. His father wouldn't allow him to study history at university, so he studied business, but he's always really fixated on World War II. He thinks in history metaphors, even in the first episode. He says, Tony's Russia, vast, mysterious, unconquerable. Sophie's Poland, manageable, won't put up too much of a fight. Terrible! That's a horrible way to put it, but also, like, I've been there. I've had crushes on guys where it's like, you seem like you're maybe not too good for me, so I'll I'll go after you, because you're Poland. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about British comedy's sort of obsession with Hitler and Nazis that mm-hmm. we don't necessarily have over here. This is a great way in which the Nazi humor is at least, like, interwoven it's into justified. a character's psychological makeup. He's obsessed with history. And that's another thing, is that even taking Jeremy, who is not the intellectual of the two, and... Jeremy's druggy best friend's super hands, who we have not mentioned yet. Like, for the druggy weird dropouts, they are uniquely intelligent in just the Mm -hmm. shit they say. Like, super hands, the first time we see him is when Jeremy is complaining to him in the pub about how Mark was making fun of his, you know, brilliant music that they made together. They're always in some band. But hands says to him, he broke Omerta. You need rewenge, which is just a stupid pronunciation of the German word for revenge. And omerta <laughs> is like an Italian mafia law of honor thing. It's multicultural. And then in like another episode, Jeremy's waking up on the couch after he and Superhands have had this incredible drug binge. And Jeremy's saying, what happened? And Hans is like, that will become clear later, like the French Revolution. <laughs> which like, I don't even know what that means. But I love yeah. that in this show, you can have a drug dropout make references to the French Revolution. Like, that is different. Superhands is a fascinating character because he is <laughs> such a mystery and he has these weird little layers that will sometimes come through. Like, at one point... In like, I don't know, season six or something, he reveals that he has kids and he's like, oh yeah, I'm always going on about the twins. And they're like, what? You've never you've never mentioned them. And he's got some twins that live in Germany with their mother, yeah. presumably. And, uh, what's what's fumf in English? Yeah. <laughs> so good. But they do a good job with the drug humor because it's not just, oh, ha ha, look at me. I'm high. I'm eating lots of food and mm-hmm. saying stupid stuff. It's it's the nonchalance mm-hmm. from Superhands that is so funny. Like in season two, he's in a music studio with Jeremy. Jeremy's gotten a commission to compose a piece of music for a commercial and Hans pulls out the crack pipe and Jeremy says, Hans, you realize we've only got 39 minutes left. (laughs) And the way Super Hans just is so annoying goes, oh, so now we're working and it's not okay for me to smoke my crack. Which I was able to once quote to a British guy who happened to be my Lyft driver. up and I don't know how we got on the discussion of British comedy but he said to me have you seen Peep Show and I was like you just said the absolute wrong thing because I am now going to quote Peep Show at you like there's no fucking tomorrow and that was something that we definitely quoted together and then laughed heartily. He's a character that is over the top but like you said there's like a nonchalance and a subtlety there in the delivery of all of these characters. It's kind of like the opposite of the young ones where everything is so heightened and so cartoonish that everybody's at an 11 all the time. This is more naturalistic acting, a lot more subtle. Like, I think that if you didn't speak English and you watched the show, you would think that everything was completely normal and everyone on it was completely normal. But when you hear what they're saying, there's this weird disconnect. You're like, wait, what? It's it's very realistic and very true to life, but also just turned up a little bit. Most people don't actually get in these exact situations in terms of some of the crazier episodes. Yeah. Superhands is like the Roger Sterling of the show. (laughs) 
Well, while we're talking about businessmen, can we talk about my favorite minor character, which is Alan Johnson? Alan Johnson! (laughs) Johnson is this cool, cocky, sexually inappropriate, badass businessman, which is a pretty incongruous thing. We first see Alan Johnson through Mark's POV, and he's uh, just verbally berating Mark. So, Mr. Corrigan, we've examined your loan application, and I just have one question for you. Are you a pathetic, worthless punk? Uh, well, no. All right. Because I'm going to turn you down as if you were a hippie parasite. Oh, yes. Yeah, I like it. And then I'm going to make you feel like you're a turkey fucker. Why? Because I'm the big man and you're a shitheel, right? Brilliant. That is just so spot on. Or I could treat Mr. Corrigan like a valued and respected customer and we'd both end up winners. Isn't that right, Mr. Corrigan? Right. Absolutely. Dead right. Alan Johnson. I'm in love. Mark definitely has a real masochistic streak that is very interesting to explore. But um, Mark becomes like his sidekick. Johnson refers to him as the Camilla to his Charles. Like he definitely, there's some Batman Robin stuff going on. And Mark really likes him. And in fact, thinks that he might be gay because he's in love with Alan Johnson. It is one of... I don't know if I've ever actually seen an episode of television where a character starts questioning their sexuality in a way that I laugh at because it's maybe relatable. When you develop a hero crush on someone of your same sex and you don't necessarily identify as bisexual or gay and you start going, am I gay? Yeah, you're like, could I have sex with that person? And when Mark actually says to him, like, I won't know until it's right in front of me. (laughs) That's a thought that I've had. But one of my favorite Johnson lines is Johnson has offered Mark a better position at a different JLB branch, but it would mean moving to Car Mm -hmm. And Johnson describes their future together as business partners as just us, a pile of Chinese food, and a couple of fuck-off spreadsheets. (laughs) And Mark's inner monologue is just, oh yes, take me, Johnson, I'm yours. Oh, I know. Speaking of crushes and love, these men have a lot of love interests over the nine seasons that oh, yeah. we live with them. So many. And it's really, it's it's interesting because as opposed to the sort of typical or stereotypical comedy figure of, you know, perpetually single men where it's like, whoa, I just, I just want to fuck. And you would think that, you know, as, as slutty as Jeremy is, he's also completely infatuated. So many times these men, like there are several sort of recurring jokes or you know, almost catchphrases. She's the one. I'm in love with her. They will just see a pretty girl and instantly go oh my god she's the one it's so relatable i definitely thought of our handsome waiter from when we went to london and so even at the time we were like we're totally mark and jez right now because we both have been crafting these narratives in our head where we're filling in all of the blanks that we don't know about this guy because we literally know nothing about him except for his name which we gleaned from the receipt he didn't even tell us and what he looks like which was perfection oh god didn't we even talk about like because he had a manchester tattoo Mm -hmm. and later at the apartment we were like that might get a little bit annoying is the fact that he's probably obsessed with football (laughs) (laughs) here's something that this, this might be kind of a mean thing to say, but I don't think that most of the female characters on this show are funny. Really? I, I'm not sure whether it's that we don't get into their heads. Although, again, like, you know, Superhands and Johnson are very funny because they're given these very big personalities. But um, but I think that there are two great exceptions. Sophie is hilarious, and I think that Dobby is hilarious. And those are Mark's main two love interests. And what I love about Sophie, is, I mean, apart from, again, Olivia Coleman is just such a good actress, but... I think that it's so realistic that it shows gradually how 
not not so much that she gets worse, but that Mark knows more about her. And he's been able to craft this fantasy from having this workplace crush where she's just the nice, pleasant, but achievable girl who smiles at him and will occasionally exchange pleasantries. But then she reveals more of her personality. Like she, she is a little bit wilder or she's a lot wilder than Mark. She likes to go out and get drunk or try drugs or be more experimental. And he slowly discovers after, you know, a lot of on again, off again and him pursuing her fruitlessly through some really fucked up means, which we will definitely discuss. But they eventually end up in a relationship and then he realizes that he doesn't like her. But in the same way that he will do just about anything to avoid an uncomfortable moment or conversation, he decides that he's going to propose to her because he's got to make some kind of move and that's the next logical step. And then finally Jeremy convinces him not to because he realizes that he doesn't actually have anything in common with her or like her. But then she finds the ring and she says yes without him asking her and then he's... It's so good. He just resigns himself to being married to her. The last line of the episode is his internal monologue. This is good. Not really loving her puts me in a position of power. I win, sort of. Yeah, and I love the way that Jeremy says to him, so you're going to stay married to her for the rest of your life out of embarrassment. (laughs) And that's just like the hand underneath her butt Mm -hmm. is like, so you're not going to prevent this really awkward, terrible thing from happening because you're, you're too embarrassed now. It's just purely him. Yeah. He will commit to a stupid thing just to avoid embarrassment, ensuring much pain down the road. It's so great. Now I have to say, I think that the two Jeremy girlfriends I do kind of like Nancy, who he meets at Rainbow Rhythms in season two. Yeah. She's definitely, I mean, she's blonde, she's American, she's really hypersexual, and there's a great little arc where Jeremy and Nancy are just having a ton of sex, (laughs) like, all over the apartment, and Mark is horrified, and they go into the kitchen, and there's, like, an outline of a butt (laughs) in yogurt on the counter, and I love the way Mark says, oh, you haven't been sexing it up in here with my yogurt. (laughs) And he has this line, which I can't help but agree with. He says, for better or worse, the 60s happened and now sex is fine. And then to paraphrase, he says, but can't we keep all the lovely bits that I have a dream and so on, but without the squalor. (laughs) And that's my little conservative streak is the squalor of the sex free for all and swingers and shit. That's where I'm just like, nope, I am the boring person who's not going to participate in, in the group sex stuff at all. But I do think Nancy's funny. And I, I like Big Sue's who comes in in season three. You don't like Big Sue's? I mean, yeah, they're, I think that they're all fine. I'm not saying that they're, you know, none of these are a Christine Kachansky at all. I'm just right. saying that for me, the two real standout love interests who maybe it's just because they have the most to do and they have the most layers to me are Sophie and Dobby. No, they're definitely the best. And they're also the ones that I feel like I could relate to the most on some level. Like, look at Sophie. Poor Sophie is spending her adulthood, like, choosing between Mark and Jeff. I know. Like, multiple times going back and forth between those two guys, but I don't know. Those are the guys she knows. Honestly, I had a thought. I was thinking of her as kind of like an Irma figure, thinking about Mr. Bean. Because Mark, through his internal monologue, you can hear how terrified he is of female sexuality. 
and he hates his girlfriend. So I was like, oh my God, he's totally Mr. Bean. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sophie specifically says like, well, I'd like to have a baby pretty fucking soon. Like she, her biological clock is ticking hard to the point that she tricks Mark into fertilizing her, which is uh, questionable. But... Oh, well, I mean, uh... not quite. I have to say, if I were her, I might have done the same thing. So the two of them end up, <laughs> the, the... no, 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 listen. No so the two of them end up getting married and the, the wedding episode oh is my one, of my one of my favorites. favorites. Oh my God. But it's quickly annulled and they get drunk at like an office party and they go to sign the divorce papers in Mark's office and then they end up having sex later. And to Sophie's credit, they do use a condom. It's just that when Mark tells her that it broke, that she puts her knees up. Yes. She's like, oh dear. Well, let's just let nature take its course. It's very fun. Yeah. I guess she doesn't exactly. She spies an opportunity and seizes it. Yeah. Oh my God. That wedding episode. That is just one of the funniest episodes of television I think I've ever seen. So Mark got engaged at the end of the previous season and he's been wanting to find a way to get out of this wedding this whole time. But again, due to his terror of confrontation, he's never done anything about it. And so then in order to avoid marriage, he tries to get into a fight with a burly stranger. He contemplates getting run over by a car. He sees a woman in a cafe who's reading a book about Churchill and then decides to propose to her because again, she might be the one. And then he tries to call it off with Sophie, but not to jilt her at the altar. He's very specific. If you do it before, then it's not technically jilting. But then he gets to the church and things just have, it's, it's just one of the funniest episodes of television ever. And so then it ends with both him and Sophie just just sobbing at the altar and saying their vows. And it's just the funniest, saddest thing. That's such a hilariously bleak view of marriage that I kind of share a little bit. <laughs> it's just wonderful. This show, sort of similar to the British version of The Office, it just shows that life is so fucking bleak. But here it's like bleak and very funny, whereas in The Office it's bleak and like very tragic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also funny, you're laughing, but you're mostly thinking like, oh my god, this is my life. Whereas it's like, haha, this is my life. There's like this incredible sense of anxiety during that episode because he wakes up knowing that he doesn't want to do it. And Jeremy, to his credit, is like, dude, we both know you're not going to marry her today. You're going to stay here with me. And Mark insists like, no, I have to do it. And they keep going back and forth. Jeremy's best man. He hasn't even bothered writing a best man's speech, <laughs> which I think is fair and kind yeah. of kind of him to be like dude don't do it and Mark's like no we're we're gonna do it we're gonna do it but one of the things he says to Jeremy inside the church when he's trying to rationalize do I go through with it or not he says I don't want to end up alone like Miss Haversham wanking into a yes, flannel <laughs> that is just so true right like oh, yeah. at the end of the day you get to a certain age and you just kind of think yeah. that I just love that he compares himself to Miss Haversham though <laughs> so as if Miss Haversham God. is wanking into a flannel I know it's such a fantastic <laughs> but um, when Mark goes to Jeremy and tells him, like, I tried to get myself run over and I proposed to another woman, mm -hmm. Jez just goes, that is maybe a sign that everything isn't totally groovy. Yes. Then he tries to help give Mark a way out by revealing that he and Sophie once kissed. Right. And Mark is thrilled. Yes. And he says, you lovely bastard, this is dynamite. This is the perfect excuse. And later he calls him, you shitty, faithless, backstabbing beauty. <laughs> yes, but funny. then they rush to Sophie's parents' house mm -hmm. and Sophie's mom answers the door who has totally had sex with Jess. Lucky bitch. Oh, I know. <laughs> Fuck. That is the hottest thing. But Mark says, you know, Sophie's been unfaithful and Sophie's mom is like, oh, that's, are you really going to call off the wedding because of one stupid 
little snog. Did you even use tongues? So it doesn't even work. At the altar, his after he said, I do, I've ruined my life. You only get one life and I've ruined mine. But I wanted to ask you, who do you think is a better person out of the two of them? Oh, oh, Jeremy. Yes. Okay. I had a note from season one where I was like, Mark is definitely the kind of person who, if he were American and had access to like automatic firearms, he would become a workplace shooter. And then later on in season two, he actually says, I'm probably exactly the kind of person who would do that. And I was like, yes, fucking thank you. Because his anger comes out in so many horrible ways. I mean, he pisses in his boss's desk when he's angry that he didn't get a promotion that he tried for. And I think there's salt in the wound that Sophie, the object of his affection, who is also a woman, is the one who is given that the job as an interim position. Oh yeah. He does so many horrible things just in pursuit of Sophie. Like you said, he hacks into her email. He cuts himself. He spies on Sophie and Jeff. He crosses so very many lines. I think he's even a worse person than Alan Johnson, who, again, is like a total misogynist, but in a way that's kind of straightforward in the way that like Lord Flashart is a misogynist. Like he's he's up front, like, yeah, I like to fuck women, whatever. And, you know, there's even a part in another episode where he says to Jeremy, I'd like to make a real life indecent proposal. And he offers him, what is the exact sum? It's something like 300. 500 pounds. It's like a weird, yeah, he's like, I, sh- I estimate your price to be 500. 30 pounds and he offers yeah. him money to sleep with his girlfriend big Sue's, and that's horrible but you know he says like i i don't like playing the game i don't like talking to women but i like the things that they do and like it's disgusting that he tries to pay for sex but also like he's not raping anybody he's not exactly invading anybody's privacy he's the alpha male misogyny is the kind that I find less insidious than the so-called nice guys who are actually just as horrible but feel more entitled because they are less attractive to women. You know, those are the ones that become mass murderers. Sure. I mean, again, I love Mark. I am Mark. I feel for him. He's my favorite character on the show, but I fucking hate Mark. And I can, spoiler alert, I'm definitely going to kill him and fuck Mary Kell. <laughs> in case that's not clear. I hear all that and I agree with it. The way that I sort of tried to tally up who was a worse person, because Jared Jeremy does horrible things too. Yeah. Like Jeremy throws a magic mushroom party in the house while Mark (laughs) is sick in bed with the gastric flu. And so he first drugs Mark (laughs) to incapacitate him by pouring an entire bottle of cold medicine in his mug. And then he padlocks Mark in the room so that he can't escape. Like, yeah, Jeremy does terrible things. And also in in that same thing, in his internal monologue, but again, he thinks it, he doesn't do it, but he, he says, it's not like I'm going to rape him. I could rape him. I'm not going to rape him. And like, you know, again, rape humor, very dicey subject. That line did really make me laugh and and also made me horrified because like, do men think like this? And like, of course they fucking do because enough of them do it that of course that's going through the minds of many more who don't do it. But I'm glad that Jeremy is someone who doesn't do it and who's actually pretty enlightened on the subject. Like, speaking of rape, this is a slight sidetrack, but there is an episode where Mark gets raped. Yes. He wakes up to a woman having sex with him. And I think that in a way that a lot of specifically male victims will deny that that's what it was because they just can't deal with the trauma of that. But Jeremy is the one who says, you said no, and she didn't stop. Mark, you were definitely raped. He's like, no, no, it wasn't like a proper rape. It's fine. It's fine. And, you know, he's, he's very repressed about it. So the show recognizes that that's wrong, but it also uses it as a source of comedy. And that's a little... 
I don't know if the rape is supposed to be funny. I can't tell because it's yeah. just not funny. So I cannot tell. It's a trouble without a laugh track. It's a little bit hard to know where you're supposed to laugh sometimes. Yeah. But this is a show that is so good and so funny that I'm perfectly content to turn off my feminist brain for a lot of it. It doesn't cross the line too many times or make me angry as a female viewer because I love these men so much. And, you know, I live inside their head for while I'm watching these episodes and they live inside my head because they are such an accurate portrayal of just human nature or two different sides of it at least oh yeah this show doesn't bother me even though it's like very male dominated obviously well i wanted to bring up how despite how clumsy that rape episode is they do sort of find ways to sneak in comments about just terrible male behavior Mm. and terrible ways in which men think so it's interesting how they whether they meant to or not they are commenting on a male's point of view of rape but in that same season I believe Jeremy and Superhands get like a really hot manager Mm -hmm. for their band and and the manager is a very sexually confident woman Mm -hmm. and she ends up trying to have sex with Jeremy but it goes terribly and then she has sex with Mark and the reason why Mark does a good job at it is because she tells him exactly what to do and Jeremy says anyone can please a woman if she tells you what to do yeah that's cheating that shouldn't be allowed that was it's fascinating. so funny. Yeah. And then um, Mark has this great line. I'm going to read it because I cried as I listened to it. He says, if I break up with her, I don't see myself having good sex ever again. Unless I'm like going on holiday to Hawaii and the plane crashes and all my fellow survivors <laughs> are women sex therapists on their way to a conference. And even then, there would probably be loads of male sex therapists there too. And they'd love that, wouldn't they? All fucking each other and giving each other tips while I sit on a rock wanking and crying. <laughs> perfect catastrophic markism i fucking love that line but dude isn't that sometimes how you see the rest of the world oh my god yeah everyone's having sex but me and good sex again i'm so i'm so mark But what I was originally saying about Jeremy being a better person is that, yes, there are myriad ways in which they both sabotage each other. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I tried to write down things that Jez and Mark do for each other that are kind. And Jez completely does way more. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of things that Mark does for Jeremy that are kind. I think one of my favorites is during the book club episode. Oh, me too. Jeremy has fallen in love with this girl, Zara, who has a boyfriend named Ben, who's just this really pretentious asshole. And Zara is sort of a pseudo-intellectual, and so Jeremy poses as an intellectual too in order to gain her favor and uh, has to read Wuthering Heights. But then Ben makes this show-off comment in the book club. As a love story. Sorry, as a what? A love story oh, come on jez this isn't a fucking love story it's a fucking fuck story it's about animal lusts and earth and dirt and fluids not love art companionship all that rubbish i hate you wuthering heights is so obviously an exploration of you know wild elemental forces the tribe jeremy's right he's a night. shit can we go in for five minutes, minutes Tom's? Uh, an ode to dark passions a kind of savage, savage rhapsody, rhapsody. Sorry, Ben, very easily done, but I think you might accidentally be giving opinions from quite a well-known online essay on Wuthering Heights as your own. Fuck you, sure Mark's going into bat for me. I understood the book at all. Wuthering Heights isn't a hymn to lust and passion. And he's and really good at this, unlike any game actually involving a bat. ...nonsense is, and how it inevitably has to give way to real life and real love. It's like a nice little defense of Jeremy, but like that, if, if that's the kindest thing you ever do for your best friend and flatmate, that's not... No, he, he definitely... 
definitely does that, and he also um, gets that fake publishing company that promises to publish oh Business Secrets of the Pharaohs. <laughs> okay, Business Secrets of the Pharaohs is the name of Mark's <laughs> book, and it's also the name of the episode in which he gets suckered in by this fake publishing company that makes him pay for them to print up shady copies of his book. That's It's up there with kicking Bishop Brennan up the arse for like my favorite episode titles ever. I can't see it without giggling. <laughs> Business, Business secrets, secrets of, of the, the pharaohs. pharaohs. Well, yeah, so he gets British London to print out a life coach certification for Jeremy because Jeremy decides to become a life coach. But um, I love the way that this show, they mention Business Secrets of the Pharaohs in like episode four. Yeah. And they mention it kind of periodically. And then finally in like season seven or eight, it gets yeah, published the same off. way from episode one, Mark is making references to his horrible relationship with his father. Yes. And then we only meet his father once one time many 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 seasons later and you mm-hmm. can see oh yep we've been hearing about this for years like yeah that's what I meant about how the pilot doesn't feel like a pilot it feels like we're just thrown into the middle of these people's lives so my other favorite love interest on the show besides the wonderful Sophie is Dobby and I really want to yes. talk about her she shows up right after Sophie and Mark's disastrous wedding she's the IT nerd who's new to the company and therefore hasn't heard all about how Mark has been a shit to Sophie and everyone else in the office except for Johnson is giving him a hard time and abusing him and so you know he's oh good a a new friend that is uncontaminated by this um she's wonderful she's really really funny and a really specific person and like I feel like I know like 10 of her she's so realistic and this was actually something that I think I said in our first episode about Mr. Bean but then cut because we hadn't talked about peep show yet but like how I was confused as to why Irma who is not a weirdo would end up with someone like Mr. Bean who totally is a weirdo and how I said like there are girl weirdos and Dobby is the perfect embodiment of that because she's a certain kind of woman who's just catnip to nerdy men she's very confident in her own skin and very much herself and has these weird like niche interests she dresses kind of funky but she's so charming and so funny and what's incredible is that when Mark is with her, at least early on, he actually becomes charming and funny in a way that yep. he never is with anybody else, not even with male friends. She really makes him blossom and is kind of like, oh, I actually get why this could be a good love interest. Maybe not for her. She could definitely do better. But it's like, oh, you're actually kind of shipping them and hoping that it'll work out because he, she brings out the best in him. No, it's true. They, it's funny to kind of look back at all of the love interests for Mark especially and kind of try to think who actually worked for you mm-hmm. maybe Sophie in the earliest of days but otherwise I feel like he and Dobby could actually have really had something if he were just a little bit more mature and less evil Horrible. <laughs> yeah like when he asks her to move in and she's kind of being a drag ass about it can you blame her not really it's the way that he starts doing things like he's at her house and he notices that she got a new tin opener which Mm -hmm. means she can't possibly be thinking about moving in because if she needed a new tin opener, she would just move in with him because he (laughs) has a tin opener. So he breaks her microwave (laughs) and he thinks that'll be the ultimate test. If she gets a new one, then she's never going to move in. But like, he destroys her microwave. Mm -hmm. What an asshole. Yep, yep. Should we talk about pedos? (laughs) (laughs) Is there ever a bad time to talk about pedos? Actually, wait, before we move on to pedos. Oh, yeah. There was one more thing that I wanted to say about Dobby, which is the very memorable thing that she does in the first episode where we meet her. After they share their first conversation, they meet in the supply cupboard where she says, oh, I can't reach these. Can you reach for me? And then he says, uh, you, you should probably get out of the way. And she's like, yeah, I, I should move, but I might not move. And then she, you can see the shot is them looking at each other in the mirror. So it's just this very 
uncomfortable single shot where she starts to sort of what's the it's not quite dry humping but she's rubbing her butt against his crotch in a way that uh you know takes him to completion it's very funny it's a very interesting character moment for both of them his his internal monologue is fantastic but then like the funniest part is afterwards he's like oh god it's seeping through my pants and then in order to avoid his co-workers seeing it he goes into the stairwell and then he sees sophie and jeff They say, what's that? Did you piss yourself? And then he, again, to avoid the greater embarrassment, he just just immediately admits, yep, I I pissed myself. I win. (laughs) They think I've pissed myself. They don't know that I've come all in my pants. All in my pants. Yeah. It's funny because if he genuinely wanted people to think that he pissed himself, all he had to say was, no, no, I didn't. Like, it was the water cooler. And then they would still think that. But just to admit, it's saying that he pissed himself instead of coming in his pants, pretending to have a twitch when he regrets a wink, going to an AA meeting with Johnson when he thinks that he's an alcoholic rather than saying, oh, I'm sorry, it was a misunderstanding. Like, he will just go to such extreme lengths. I absolutely love that. The supply closet uh, sort of accidental wanking is one of my favorite moments of the show. Also, Mark's dance at Rainbow Rhythms. When Jeremy eats the dog. Wait, do we want to do pedos and then the dog eating? <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, yeah, maybe let's stick to pedos for now. I, I have never seen a show with so many references to to child molesters. Yeah. From episode one, when those really young kids are terrorizing Mark, they yell oh at him. Oh my God, he gets bullied by children. It's so funny. Yeah, not scary teenagers, <laughs> scary children, but they yell at him that he's a pedo. There's all kinds of references to pedos. Jeremy and Superhands are offered a pub that a friend of theirs owns <laughs> and Superhands be being his irreverent, kind of strange, random self, wants the bar to make a political statement. But he wants to name the pub Free the Pedos. Oh god, it's so funny. And Jeremy's like, shouldn't it be something traditional like the swan and tomato? Compromise. (laughs) The swan and pedo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was also thinking, oh god. Well, no, one of our favorites of all time is in the episode Saint Hospitals, where Sophie is delivering her baby. That's an episode that I love so much. I may have mentioned on this podcast that I hate scenes where women give birth. Any episode of a TV show where someone has a baby, I hate it so much. This is the only exception to that rule. This captures the terror of the experience of childbirth in a way that isn't scary it's it's very funny and very real um you know you see sophie like on all fours on the bed kind of almost mooing like a cow and being really pissed off and meanwhile mark is like so not happy to be there he leaves for long stretches and goes to the arcade and like almost misses the birth of his child he's distracted also because there's a leak in their boiler and so the whole day he's like worrying about his flat as opposed to the birth of his firstborn child but oh my god very early on let, let's just play a clip of this because it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. The truth is, and, and I really wish it wasn't true, but I'm a, a pedophobe, to be honest. Oh, right. Oh, my life. I mean, I, I suppose I always wondered whether... I've always felt really weird around children, you know? Right. Yeah. Act supportive or punch his lights out? And are you going to get help? I don't know. I mean, what sort of help can you get for an irrational fear of children? Pedophobe! Oh, right. What do you think I meant? Oh, my God, Jeremy. It's just pedophobe. I mean, they're both bad. I thought you were saying you were a 
Megapedo. You thought I was saying I was a megapedo, and your reaction was that you'd always wondered. I was grappling, I was grasping. I want to circle back to what you said about the delivery of babies in comedies. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom, who has had three kids, whereas I have had none. Mm -hmm. We were talking about some movie or TV show where there was a baby delivery, and my mom's mm -hmm. like, I hate when the actress in the scene is always screaming her head off. In real life, you're in too much pain to even do that. Ooh, and I thought, oh, horrifying. fuck. And so when Olivia Coleman is just like on all fours, just kind of moaning and... She's so funny. She does a really good job of it. And that helps it keep from going completely over the top and makes room for all the other completely fucked up things that Mark is about to do. Absolutely. And also because most shows are written by or at least controlled by men, I really hate the whole like male point of view of birth. Again, this is something that will come up when we talk about coupling, but I don't resent it here because it is specifically like literally from the point of view of the male characters and them being so horrified by the details. Well, I love that they're horrified, but they don't say, oh man, I'll never fuck anyone ever again. Or, oh, this is yeah. unnatural. That's, that's pussies. I love pussies. You shouldn't be blah, blah, blah. Like, when Mark and Jez both get stuck in the room when the nurse comes to see how dilated Sophie is and they just yeah. get quiet because they're witnessing her like put her whole hand in and Jez yeah. is like I think now I, I should uh, I should leave you to it and just kind of quietly yeah. leaves. Another thing that I really love that is handled very believably here is Mark's sudden transformation and yet not really transformation the moment that he holds his infant son for the first time. He's so full of love and elation at this wonderful moment and he says you know he's got that inner monologue where he says something like oh maybe maybe he'll solve global warming or something like that it's it's so sweet and it's not in a way that's cheesy or unbelievable because he's still him and we've heard him go to those hyperbolic fantasy places in his own life where it's like this is the greatest thing ever this is the worst thing ever oh my goodness do you want to cut the cord? Uh, no. Do you want to do some credit rating or work in a Mexican restaurant? Let's stick to our jobs. Do people normally... Go on, Mark. Uh, okay. Great. Bet I do it wrong and they laugh, humiliated in front of my son within ten seconds of his birth. Wow. It's sinewy. God, I, I can't get any purchase. Thought it'd be like Sarah Ferguson cutting a ribbon, but it's much more meaty, like sawing a dog's leg in half. Oh, my God. There he is. I've got a baby. Maybe, maybe I might be a good person from now on. That, that might be a good idea. Yeah, lead a wholesome life and be a decent citizen and make the whole world okay and yeah, this is a biggie. This is definitely a biggie. Maybe my son can sort climate change. He might figure out cold fusion. Not as one of the main guys, that's unrealistic, but in an administrative capacity. Oh my God, you're a dad. I know. Wow. Listen, this probably doesn't matter right now, but hands called. Oh? It's all sorted. New boiler's up and running, and there's minimal water damage. He sent a photo. Minimal water damage? Minimal water damage. Here you go. Here's your son. Oh, my God. My son. <laughs> minimal water damage. My son. Minimal water damage. He's equally happy by those two things. So he's still Mark, but he is changed, but not in a way that makes him suddenly heroic or a different person. It's, it's really no. well handled. 
David Mitchell does an incredible job in that scene. You can just hear the tone of his voice change a little bit. And I watched that episode last weekend at my parents' house Mm -hmm. and we're all cracking up. And then at the minimal water damage line, my father looked at me and he had tears welling in his eyes. (laughs) And I loved that so much. I thought, oh, good, because that's how I kind of always feel, too. When I watched that episode at the very end there, they do such a nice job of it. The way Jeremy just runs in with the good news about the boiler and Mark's holding a newborn baby and his face just kind of says that he's he's no longer afraid and he's actually very happy that he came back from the arcade that he was at <laughs> 10 minutes ago. I also think it's really appropriate because I, I hadn't thought about that until until you just said this, but this might be the only really unambiguously happy ending of an episode. Usually it ends on some sort of note of defeat and resignation and hilarity, certainly, but there's something kind of sad and depressed about it. But this is just ending on such a high note. My son, minimal water damage. That episode where Jeremy goes to the arcade and finds Mark and kind of says, dude, you have to get the fuck back to the hospital. That's another Mm -hmm. hell yeah, Jeremy moment. Yeah. And a different hell yeah, Jeremy moment, even though it ultimately goes balls up because of Jeremy, Mm -hmm. is when Jez says, hey, I've decided I'm going to throw you a stag do. Because even though you don't want to marry Sophie, I want to do this for you because we're best friends. And so he says that he's rented a boat and they're going to go sailing and he mm-hmm. has bought a chess board with a computer setting and they're going to play chess. They're going to yeah. cook some steaks and they're going to do very quiet, low-key, sophisticated things that Mark would mm-hmm. be excited to do. And this is just an instant of like, okay, it's the thought that counts because Jeremy is immediately bored. <laughs> yes. But one of my favorite interactions is the chess you wouldn't drink my piss scene. Hey, Mark, I'll tell you what. You piss in this bottle, I'll drink it. What? What the hell for? For a laugh, it's the stag. No, Jess, if you drank my piss, I'd feel violated. Oh, that is great. You wouldn't even let me drink your piss. I'm not trying to kiss you, Mark. It's liquid waste. I'm sorry, but no. You wouldn't let me drink your piss. Why would you even want to drink my piss? For a laugh. What the hell made you think of that? I'm just bored, okay? I'd let you drink my piss. Well, thank you very much. But yeah, that is the fantastic episode where they hook up with a pair of sisters who are out and about, also on a boat holiday with their dad, accompanied by their dog called Mummy. And Jeremy ends up moving in on one of the women quite successfully. And then there's a scene where he accidentally runs over Mummy when he is drunk and high driving their SUV. And um, this... This is one of my all-time favorite dog deaths. Oh, this is this is the dead dog to end all dead dogs. Yes. I mean, if if you're listening to this, British television makers never stop. Keep them coming <laughs> by all means, but this is the best ever. Let's be the one to beat. Keep killing the fucking dogs. I think you can tell. I mean, we've talked about this before. You can probably tell so much about a person by showing them this episode and gauging how they react. Yeah. Well, here's here's the thing. The key to animal violence is that Animal cruelty is not funny when it's an accident and when it's causing the human more pain than the animal. And when it's kind of like what you said about how you because you hear their thoughts, you see how their actions go from sort of harmless to not really okay to, oh, my God, what the fuck kind of human does this? Like there's that slow kind of slippery slope into (laughs) completely disgusting behavior. And so, yeah. 
They try to burn the body of the dog and then it doesn't get fully burned. So he puts it in his bag and then somehow it becomes revealed and he, he pretends that it's turkey and then he ends up eating it. And oh, here, Mark, have some turkey. No, thank you, Darmy. I don't want any. I really feel that since I'm eating turkey, you should also be eating turkey. And then later on he says, why did you have, did you have to eat it? And he says, I've been wondering that myself. In the moment, it really felt like I had to eat it. It's so, it's just so wildly over the top and outrageous that... I can't imagine not laughing at it. No one's advocating for it. It's Kaylee. Not, what? You wrote a joke about eating dead dogs in our murder mystery play. I did? I don't <laughs> even remember that. Oh, and this was even before Peep Show. Oh, this was this was in Act 3. You revealed that Rebecca Spiegelman had actually killed the person because she was able to trace back the guy to, like, his hot dog emporium. Yes. And it was made of dog meat, and you got in trouble. <laughs> I did! <laughs> you got in trouble! That's so funny. My main memories of getting my murder mystery censored were that I wasn't allowed to say the word urine. I had to have a meeting with the assistant principal, who was such a dumbass. And uh, and she said, like, you can't have this line where this poet says, how dare you metaphorically urinate all over my work. The irony of that exchange was lost on her. But then she said, what about metaphorically ruin, metaphorically destroy? I'm like, that's not a, do you know what a metaphor is, bitch? So yeah, I couldn't say urinate, but this is a show where like someone gets murdered. So we were thinking about having some little disclaimer that says, Agora High School does not condone the act of urination. However, murder is a-okay. Oh, God, maybe I'm misremembering I had to change it to that. Spit. No, the... I mean maybe maybe I did. I don't know. No, but yeah. no, you definitely wrote the dead dog I thing. No, I, I do remember that now that you bring it up. God, yeah, that's oh, I But wish maybe I had they didn't that. make you maybe they didn't make you take that out. I'm sorry. Okay, whatever. Either way, no, you no. fucking came up with it and it was funny then and, and oh, it's funny when Jeremy does it too. Dead dogs, they're they're just funny. I don't know. <laughs> dead 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 dogs are fucking hilarious. I mean, whether somebody laughs about that or not, it's like a great personality test. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's my kind of fucked up. It's my kind of fucked sure. up. Yeah. So, um, you've made several references to how you would kill Mark. Would you want to take a brief interlude to talk about fucking and killing? There's a few different ways that we could do this. We could do fuck, Mary kill with Mark, Jeremy, and Superhands. Or we could do it Mark, Jeremy, and Johnson. Or we could do fuck, Mary kill roommate with all four of them. Let's start with fuck, Mary kill with Mark, Jeremy, and Hands. Sure. I am going to kill Mark. Mm-hmm. I'm going to marry Jez and fuck Hands. That's the only possible response. Right? I mean, because Mark is the worst person. I feel like if you just saw episode one and you didn't see all of the disgusting shit that Mark does, you would think, oh, obviously on paper, you kill the crack addict, you fuck the, you know, unreliable hippie and you marry the sturdy loan manager. But no, he's an awful person. Jeremy is very sweet. Something else that I, there was a note where I wrote like, okay, I guess I have to marry Jeremy. Not that that was ever not going to happen, but for as many flaws as he has and for as immature as he is and as much as I don't want to be like the mother in the relationship and that seems inevitable with him the christmas episode when you first see them exchanging gifts and mark's just giving him a little like throwaway what is it tongs. He's using, like salad tongs or something really stupid meanwhile jeremy what does jeremy give mark oh he it's, gives him like a great book that he actually has been really wanting to read yeah it's and very sweet yeah. chocolates and and something else that's he's very really... he's very thoughtful and then you know mark says oh sorry i you know in my family we just sort of do it as a joke and then jeremy goes in my family we actually try quite hard and i was like yeah he's he's actually very thoughtful he i think that he could actually 
actually be a good partner once he grew up a little bit. So yeah, definitely, obviously marry Jeremy. There's no other possible solution. Yeah, and of course, marrying Jeremy is going to be infinitely more annoying and complicated than marrying Robert Webb. Even if I were only married to Jeremy for as long as he and Nancy were in a marriage, because he cheats on her kind of immediately with Tony. He Not was... necessarily fully consensually. He doesn't no. feel good about it. Tony just reaches into his pants and he like, going back to the whole thing about consent, even though Jeremy is the one who informs Mark that Mark has been raped, Jeremy also like sort of resignedly goes like, well, I guess I have to do this. I can't say no to this. There's one time when he, in exchange for having a threesome with his girlfriend that he's been trying to break up with, he agrees to being pegged by her. And the last images of her turning around with this like giant strap on and she's like, we had a deal. And he's like, well, I don't want to develop a reputation as a deal welcher. Maybe it'll stop me from getting a loan or a job or something like that. <laughs> and it's like really sad that he doesn't think that he can say no to such things. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that. But but I do no. feel like even if he did just kind of cheat on me the day after our wedding, he totally tells Nancy. He feels terrible mm -hmm. about it. He totally tells her. But I still feel like our courtship and our marriage, even if it lasts a day, would be way more fun than courtship and marriage to Mark. Oh, not even a not even a competition. Not even sure. a competition. Okay, so then fuck, marry, kill with Mark Johnson and Jez is different for me. Okay, interesting. I feel like it could sort of be the same for me, although I'm wondering now if instead I would fuck Jez and marry Johnson, because Johnson, we could have a loveless marriage, but he would, either we'd get divorced and he'd pay me alimony, but he's he's got his shit the most together out of these people, and I don't think that he would be abusive. I think if anything, he would just completely lose interest in me. And we could live separate lives and that would be fine. I still would never want to marry Mark. I still wouldn't want to fuck Mark. I still, he still very much is the kill. But I feel like if I had like a stable sham marriage with Johnson and Jeremy as, as my side piece, that would be, that'd be lovely. Okay. Okay. What's your answer? If this is a one-off, I would fuck Mark. Wow. Because we do know he can take instruction. Okay. I'm still going to marry Jezza, but I'm going to, I'm going to kill Johnson. And it's wow. because he does view Suze as property. I can't quite get over that. I understand that. But at the same time, Jeremy also is willing to sell his girlfriend. Here's the thing. Jeremy's intentions are always good. Is getting 500 pounds a good intention, really? <laughs> yes, he doesn't have a job. <laughs> Again, and you want to marry him? I would marry the one with the job. But I myself, don't forget I too am a jazz. So, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I thought about it and I thought, huh, one night with Mark... I could maybe do that because that haughty businesswoman could and she didn't really hate it. But like, even if you're still going to marry Jeremy, which I fully understand and respect, why would you rather, f is it that you just really want to kill Johnson because he views women as property? Because I still think that having sex with Johnson would be better than having sex with Mark. And I think that Johnson is less likely to do damage to other people in the way that Mark is. Like I said, it's the alpha male misogyny versus the nerdy, festering, creepy, secret misogyny. I don't know. That's just my take. You're not wrong about that. And I, I even surprised myself when I wrote it down. And I think that yeah. maybe at the end of the day, it's because I do love Mark. Sure. I love Mark too, which is why in the scenario with all four of them, he would be my roommate. Same. Yeah. He's the only one that wouldn't, it wouldn't descend into utter chaos. He would be the neat one who cleans and that's fine. And I would clean too. I would clean. I would not steal his food. You know, I'm, yeah. no, we I'm get not along. a shitty, I'm not a shitty roommate. Yeah, no, he's, he's just the right amount of anal to live with 
but not in a sexual or romantic context. Exactly. And we see him get fired from many jobs and yet mm-hmm. never really be unemployed for any huge stretch of time. Like he's he's on it. He has a sense of inherent right and wrong that allows him to appear as just a normal functioning member of the human race and there's no way anyone can prove otherwise as Love he as he quote. himself says yeah yes yes so um so in that scenario i'd live with mark fuck hands mary jez kill johnson i would probably do the same yeah because as much as i hate mark and think that he might be a worse person than johnson i think that johnson would be a worse roommate especially if i'm marrying jeremy and then i have mark as a roommate like that's a dynamic that we know can work because we've seen it work right and I wouldn't want to kill Hans because he is also a father. He is. That didn't prevent me from killing Mark, I realize. But for most of the series, he's not a father. It's only the last three. Have you ever hacked anyone's email or read anybody's, read a crush's Facebook messages or anything or ever had the opportunity and No, first of all, I am way too moral, not even just moral, but like paranoid about getting caught for something like that. But also, I don't have the hacking skills. I can barely sign into my own email. Have you? My Well, uh, no, my boyfriend's sophomore year checked his Facebook on my laptop and didn't sign out. Oh, I went Find nutty and I did not like what I, I did not like what I found. Oh, shit. We can we can cut the answer to this next question. But what did you find? Oh, I don't care. Leave it the fuck in. Great. Actually, maybe cut it because I think the girl listens to this podcast. <laughs> oh, oh. There's one real easy way to find out. (laughs) He didn't cheat on me, but Mm -hmm. I went way, way back and I learned that he had had sex with her one night after leaving my apartment before we were dating. She wrote him like, I don't remember what happened last night. Did we fuck? And he's like, Mm. yeah, you came over to my apartment and said you wanted to fuck. So we did that for a few hours and then you went home. Oh my God, that's horrific. I, as someone who has only ever drank like two or three times and has a perfect memory of those times, I just like had too much sugar and puked. It's horrifying to me the idea that you could literally not remember whether or not you'd slept with someone the next day. Like, how is that a normal enough thing that it is like really common? Because the man up until now has never actually been told if a drunk ass fucking woman comes into your room and says, let's fuck, you are not supposed to. Yeah. Oh. Because you can do you can do anything if you're like a teenager or a college student and you have drunk too much to remember doing something and it's a scary reality of drinking and mm-hmm. a woman running up to you and saying let's fuck like yeah, I I have to say that would be tempting. That would tempt the average person with a good heart and a good head on his shoulders, but you have to say no. Mhm. And so that's how. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's never happened to me. Thank God, you know. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've woken up a morning after and been like, God, I hope I didn't say anything stupid. But it's like, no, I didn't. I didn't say anything. <laughs> See, as a teetotaler, I'm very acutely aware of every stupid thing I've ever said, which is yet another way that I am like Mark. I'm, I'm keeping a tally of my <laughs> evidence that I am not a normal human. <laughs> so... Speaking of that, Jez and Hans have totally blown each other. Yes! Okay, okay. So I definitely also want to talk about season nine, which I think we would all agree is the worst season. It's not terrible. It's not Red Dwarf season seven where it's like, oh God, this is night and day. What the fuck happened? You should have stopped. It's funny though, in the Peep Show documentary that I watched, the creators are talking about how like, uh, let's carry on just after the point when we should have stopped. And like, they did exactly that because like they were talking about how like, oh, we want to keep going forever, but like maybe people will get sick of it. And then they said that. And I was like, that's exactly it. 
there's just like one season past its prime, which there are still some good moments in that season. So I'm not sad that they did it. It's just a little bit like watered down and not quite as fresh and funny and amazing as the first eight. But it's also really impressive that they were able to sustain eight fantastic seasons where there's no dip in quality. But one of the weirdest turns in season nine is that Jeremy suddenly, quote, goes gay. I would still classify him as bisexual, but they all use the word gay. And it's not that it's an unbelievable thing because there are a lot of hints of it planted early on. For example, he and Hans have blown each other. Um, there's also a time when Sophie's saying, like, I've only slept with four men. And then he's thinking, Jesus, I've slept with more men than that. And I'm basically only asleep with women. There's also the part when he's about to be pegged by his girlfriend, Michelle. He imagines Big Suze's boyfriend, who he, earlier on, he's like, oh, look at those arms. You'd feel so safe and protected if you were hugging. You. And then he says, like, that's okay. Just just pretend it's lovely stew. <laughs> like, he's, there's definitely got, you know, his, his sexuality is a lot more fluid. But the way... It's kind of the exact opposite of something that you said that you loved about this show, where you see the decisions being made so that it feels completely natural. The way that we find out is not through Jeremy thinking like, oh, I like this guy. Oh, we're about to have sex. Oh, okay. Like, I would totally not have a problem with that. But instead, it's that Mark has a webcam and he's spying on Jeremy by accident because he's like trying to find out if he's turned up the thermostat or something like that. Yes. And so then Mark sees Jeremy having a tryst with a man who's like his life coaching client or the boyfriend of his life coaching client in Mark's bedroom. And it's just such a shocking revelation. Like it doesn't it doesn't make sense to not learn that through Jeremy's perspective rather than through Mark's. Completely agreed. That's my problem with season nine is not so much that it becomes unwatchable. It's because I no longer necessarily recognize Mark and Jez, who yeah. you intimately fucking know by sure. the time you get there because you have literally heard their secret thoughts. And so for Jeremy to be fucking a dude and to suddenly have a crisis of am I gay? It's mm -hmm. like, no, 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 that's not who Jeremy is. Jeremy has always been just kind of bisexual. Like he's very open to, you know, all these kinds of different things. He would have had group sex if it weren't for the presence of the guy that he didn't like. Yeah. And so for him to suddenly go, oh, does this mean I'm gay? It's much more of a Mark thing. I don't recognize that. And I do not recognize Mark in that season. Mark is not going to be the one doing coke and fucking married women in toilets. That is what Jeremy would do. There's also the quality and the originality and the specificity of the voiceover in season nine rapidly declines. Yeah. And I'm going to make a weird comparison here, but you've seen My So-Called Life, yeah? Yes. So for anybody who hasn't seen My So-Called Life, it's a mid-90s teen drama where it, there's a voiceover narration from teenage Angela played by Claire Danes. And it's so wonderful. And it's one of the best, most honest and lovely depictions of high school and adolescence ever on television. And there's only a couple of episodes that are not narrated by Angela. And what is widely considered to be the worst episode of the series is the second to last one called Weekend, which is narrated by her young younger sister Danielle who's like 11. It's not that children can't have insightful thoughts, it's just that whoever wrote this episode didn't give them credit for it and it's that same sort of watered down thing where instead of making some sort of like profound or profound for a 16 year old observation about life it's like I love hanging out with my big sister Angela and her cool friends and that's kind of the the surface level things that Mark and Jeremy think in season nine it's just kind of obvious it feels like a series of really competent spec scripts like yes. they're, they're good they're high quality but they're not they lack that same kind of zing they really, really, really do. And I don't like that they've just portrayed Sophie as someone who's completely degenerated into a full-on alcoholic. Yeah, it just becomes like a little bit too wacky and cartoonish given the world that they've set up in the previous eight seasons. 
And this is a show where they eat a goddamn dog. <laughs> yeah, but Sophie was always, again, we never heard her thoughts, but she's she's a complicated woman. She mm-hmm. is a professional with ambition who gets this promotion, and she's single for whatever reason, because mm-hmm. female catches are fucking single sometimes, and they, they fall through the cracks. And <laughs> You mean we. <laughs> maybe. Okay. <laughs> Wanking into a flannel. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> In other words, Saturday. Um, so <laughs> but, um, you know, she has like a phase where she's drinking and smoking pot a lot, but it's because the wedding fell apart and she ends up, you know, getting pregnant with Mark's baby, but it yeah. might be Jeremy's and it might be Jeff's. But yeah. she says, look, I was in a really bad way. I was having a really hard time and I was doing stupid stuff. It's like she has that. I don't want to say moral center because I don't think it's immoral to to do mm-hmm. drugs or whatever, but she's grounded. And so for her to then just randomly show up in the final season after not seeing her for all of season eight, mm. and it's like, oh, haha, because Sophie's an alcoholic, remember? It's like, no, no, she's not. Yeah, everyone just kind of gets like overly simplified and stereotyped or taken away from what we know about their characters. And it's just like, it's a little bit unsatisfying. However, my favorite episode of season nine is the one with the return of April, who is a university student that Mark has stalked in a previous episode just one time when she he buys a pair of shoes and they have a little bit of a slightly flirty interaction and then he's like, oh god, I love her. I'm gonna follow her to Dartmouth and like <laughs> and crash her history tutorial and and try to get off with her. But he he sees that she's written a book and so he goes to her book signing and reintroduces himself, invites her to dinner, and then realizes, oh, she's married. Oh, and she's bringing the husband. The best part, again, it's very like over the top kind of sitcom stuff, but I really like it, is that he's made reference to her being like Indiana Jones. And so he decides to write, I love you on his eyelids and Jeremy does it, but in permanent marker. And so then he's like, okay, I'm just going to not blink for the whole evening. And so it's fantastic. And then finally, Mark borrows some blue eyeshadow and puts it on. It's so stupid, but it's a really funny image that for the rest of the night, it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that that episode, I mean, I feel like the the dinner party that Mark throws when he just starts adding beans, beans and to eggs pasta. to the pasta like it's still uncharacteristic of him but at least it was a funny moment of things being uncharacteristic for them it was a fun farce that made a certain level of sense in its own world on its own terms and i was perfectly happy to see it yeah what stood out for me more about season nine was that it opens with super hands's stag party and hands is sober and this time it's actually kind of working out so Mm -hmm. he takes them to like a hippie juice bar and they just keep drinking pitchers and pitchers of juice and so they're very bored and what surprises me is that Mark is the one who turns to Jeremy and says, when do you think this is going to get going? And Jeremy says, it's going to degenerate. And Mark seems comforted and excited by that. Whereas yeah. I feel like Superhands is stag do full of drugs and drinking seems like the last place the mark i know would ever want to be oh absolutely i mean it's not my favorite season it is the worst one but it's the worst one not because of any obvious reason it's like no no no, no. this i i just know these guys really well and they'd never do any of this like sort of dorkiness no i get it it's just yeah. it's a little less fresh it's a little less true to itself but like but it's still it's still fine i have to say and i'm so glad that the show kept going but it's the wedding episode where you know there is puke in Mark's hat 
and mm-hmm. puke in his shoe and there is piss all over Jeremy's pants and Sophie runs out of the limousine oh. crying and Jez just shows up in the door and says would you want some company and Mark it's says so- that'd be nice and you know they talk about how they're still mad at each other for the events of the day and mm-hmm. Jeremy says I'm just gonna chalk that up with all my other moldering resentments yes. and Mark says exactly stick it on the bill and then you hear the Harvey Danger flagpole sit a theme come in and I feel like if I had to choose a perfect ending to the whole series that might not have been a bad one or minimal yeah. water damage like yeah there are just no ways, I, I yeah way stronger season endings to other seasons although yeah. again glad that it kept going I completely agree there are just certain lines that kind of sum up everything like there's another one where they say I forget I, I actually didn't write down which one says it but obviously we've always been amazing mates but also a bit like lead weights dragging each other down which oh is that's at New Year's yeah it's interesting because as, as much as these guys hate each other and are so unlike each other and frequently betraying each other there is something about their relationship that keeps them coming back and that really works like there's such perfect compliments to each other and I can't really imagine them living without each other it's it's a really sweet sort of codependency that works which is why last night after my third fair flu of the day when I was feeling a little bit loopy Mm-hmm. And watching a certain television show, I entertained the idea that the American equivalent of Peep Show is Grace and Frankie. Oh, you know, I only watched <laughs> the first season and then I lost interest, but okay. Oh, it's a show I think I kind of only watch when I'm sick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But um, I don't know, because every season is just, oh, Grace, oh, Frankie, why do we still live? <laughs> I don't know why I made them both sound like Jane Fonda. She's like, Frankie, oh my goodness, you are putting Cocoa Puffs in the toilet again. (laughs) Oh, Grace, it's because I'm high as fuck. Why don't you go fuck Sam Elliott and leave me alone? I can't. My hip won't move today. Oh, God. And then they fall over and they can't get up. Like if was... the episodes were actually like that, I would watch. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I want to see your one woman, Grace and Frankie. Well, it's pretty much Peep Show with Jane Fonda. That's really funny. Oh, but speaking of American equivalents, this is another one that did have an ill-fated pilot attempt. I watched it back when we were first starting to watch Peep Show. I did not revisit it. Who played the Jeremy? Because I remember that the Mark was the guy from Roseanne and Big Bang Theory. I don't remember. I don't remember if they even had inner monologues. I remember nothing about it, except that it was painful. I feel like they probably did, but it was probably just absolutely terrible. Wait, I'm just going to briefly look this up. Yeah. Peep show. No, it's on YouTube. I don't know if it ever really even saw the light of day, man. Got a 3.3 out of 10 star rating on IMDb, and that is fucking generous. Josh Myers was Jeremy. Okay. Who's that? That's weird. He was on, he used to be on Mad TV. That's what I know him from. Huh. But, oh yeah, no, that was, that was painful. My goodness. You know what though? If they were going to actually try to do another adaptation, I would be so curious. I don't know if this could actually work, but to make it different, I think it would be fascinating to see a female version. I knew you were going to say that and I agree. Right? Yeah. Because women have a reputation for not being as gross and fucked up as men, but I would hope that, if nothing else, this podcast proves that that's not true. 
Well, I mean, I know that I have said to you, and perhaps you've thought it about your own life, but I know that there have been two occasions in my life in the last couple of years, we talk on Facebook chat pretty much every day, where mm-hmm. I have said to you in the morning, oh my god, I am Mark Corrigan, and oh my god, I am Jeremy Osborne. Oh, I'm absolutely. thinking about the incident where I texted the wrong OKCupid date. <laughs> Can you tell that story? Absolutely. And this was one where when I told my mother, she said, oh, my God, you really were Mark Corrigan because you <laughs> fucked up your own evening and everybody else's. That's. <laughs> <laughs> but it was That's like, amazing. I had an OK Cupid date set up and I don't know, this guy meant not much to me yet. So I just saved him in my phone under dude. And then when I showed up to the place at the time and texted, hey, I just parked, I'm walking over. I got this response that said, I'm so sorry, did we have plans? And I said, yes, I am meant to meet you at Brew in Los Files on Vermont. And I am parked down the way. And he goes, yeah, I I have your number saved in my phone under Stephanie, but I really don't remember making plans with you. And I was going, now what the actual living fuck? We confirmed last night via the OkCupid app. And now I'm here after work. I like sped over here to make it on time. And these two young dudes walked past. And I remember I was standing on the steps of a church of Christian science. And I went, hey, can I ask you guys a question? They're like, um wary of stranger I'm like I'm not I'm not a crazy person I have I have a question for you and I asked them for their opinion and one of them goes maybe he's like a debilitating drug addict and doesn't remember and I'm like that's that's what I thought and they go, they go well best of luck man I mean you seem really nice and I'm like well fuck it I'm gonna go across the street and I'm gonna have dinner and take myself out and I'm gonna have my own drink and I'm gonna pay for everything and I hop on Facebook chat and I'm like Kaylee oh my god men are the worst they are in inferior people and we're the best and this is why women are single it's not because of anything we're doing wrong it's because men are terrible and this guy keeps messaging me going no seriously like what were we supposed to do I'm, I'm freaking out I'm on the freeway driving to Palm Springs and I have no recollection of making plans and I'm like if you just want to cancel just say it you don't have to lie to me okay like we're already here the damage is already done and finally I think like oh this will shrink his balls and I take a screen grab of the profile of the person to whom I thought I was speaking. And he goes, yeah, that's not me. (laughs) And I went into my contacts and realized I had two people saved under the name dude. And I thought, oh my (laughs) fucking God. And I don't know what this must have been like for Kaylee because she was just getting the story as it unfolded. Oh my God. No, I've never laughed harder at a Facebook message than when you revealed the amazing punchline that it was My Jeremy evening was when I felt like I was being groomed for a threesome and I definitely had the thought of they're going to play weird sex games with me and burn me in the bath. It was with the Italian restaurateur and his girlfriend who both kept telling me I was cute and trying to take me out for dinner, which we did have dinner. And then when we got back to their apartment, we went outside and I made out with the male person but then the female person was standing right there and they got in a fight. It was very weird. Did she start dancing to bitch? (laughs) (laughs) 
when I'm teetering into territory that feels either overly neurotic and fucked up or overly, whoa, weird sex stuff is going to happen. I, I think of these two guys. They that are, really they're the Crichton and Lister on my shoulder, except they're the Mark and Jez on my shoulder. I know. completely, I completely feel that. Yeah. I don't I get into too many real life situations that are like Jeremy, but I feel like you know, like I said earlier, I think I'm about 80% Mark, 20% Jeremy, because in my heart of hearts, I agree with Jeremy's overall philosophy more than Mark. Like, Mark is very establishmentarian, and I'm really not, but my internal monologue is, like, almost 100% Mark. Okay. And it's funny, um, David Mitchell said that he's often asked how like his character in Peep Show he is. And he always tries to distance himself from Mark and says, you know, I really don't want to think that I'm like, I don't want to be Mark. But then again, neither does Mark. So we have that in common. In season two, he sees Jeff and Sophie flirting and the, the inner monologue is, que sera, sera. Yes. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. If she fucks him, I'll kill myself. Yes. <laughs> So good. He's so melodramatic in his own head. And again, like with Basil Fawlty, he will veer wildly from one end of the spectrum to the other. Like there's a great moment when he sees Jeff and Sophie driving off together and he says, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to anyone ever. And then less than 12 seconds later, Johnson drives up and offers him a ride. And he says, this is the best thing that's ever happened to anyone ever. Yes. No, I love that so much. Also his, his internal monologue while jogging is every single time I've ever tried to go jogging. Same. Hey, wow, I'm actually good at this. Maybe I'm a natural. Yeah, I'm a jogger. Of course, there had to be a sport for me. I just never realized I'm a natural jogger. Feel the legs like two great steam locomotives pumping away. I'm cram, I'm a vet, I'm unstoppable. I'm, Jesus, is that a stitch? I, fuck, I think I'm gonna be sick. I've gotta slow, I need to walk. <laughs> Oh, I think I'm going to puke. I'm literally going to die. What an idiotic boob I was back 10 or 11 seconds ago. Something that's kind of interesting in the episode where Mark makes friends with Daryl at yes. the office, who turns out to be a neo-Nazi. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of interesting stuff where I'm watching it and Daryl was saying things like England for the English. Mm -hmm. And I just thought about Brexit. Were you oh, thinking sure. about Brexit when you were watching that episode? I, I did, yeah. Yeah, it was really, really weird because there are a lot of cultural references in this show, like a lot of political stuff. They're talking about Blair and Bush. Jeremy has that incredible poem called Fuck You, Bush. Fuck you, Bush. It's time to get out of Iraq, Bush. What were you even doing there in the first place, Bush? You didn't even get properly elected, Bush. Are you happy now, Bush? Fuck you, Bush. Wow. I love the way the last line is the same as the first line. Thanks. I did that on purpose. But it's interesting because it's at such a pivotal moment in history where you and I were teenagers, but these things were happening that were kind of totally the building blocks to getting where we are now in a way mm -hmm. that is weird to watch and i started yeah. thinking like god what if what if the show were coming out now like how much more nihilistic and depressed would these guys both be oh like, my god completely way more oh god i mean just just as far as things being depressing like i said this is sort of like a, a light-heartedly depressing show in a way especially with the way that they depict the monotony of office culture 
like there's that exchange between Tony and Jeremy when she says, what do you think make of the big bad world of media sales? And he says, I feel like every day quite a big part of me dies forever. And she says, yeah, well, welcome to the real world, Jeremy. Or when when Mark totally blows his presentation for Project Zeus, where he's been tasked with incorporating marketing into sales. And so then his solution, Jeremy tells him to just run away. And so then he just like flees into the parking lot. And like, we've all had that dream of just escaping our day jobs and living in the wild. But like that actually can't really happen it's funny because this is a show where with very rare exceptions like the you know my son minimal water damage moment nothing ever really works out and even when it does then it gets even worse and like this is a show that i don't know if it's ever made me really feel a real emotion except for oh man that's so funny that's so me that's so relatable it's not like The Office or, or Fleabag or even Blackadder, which, while very removed from our time, definitely made me cry. There's right. like a distance there. And even though these characters are very much grounded in the real world and we recognize ourselves and others in them, I don't think it would ever actually make me cry. No. But yeah, there is there is a lot of sort of political stuff going on. And um, another recurring thing along with I win and she's the one is the idea of political correctness gone mad. Definitely yes. want to talk about that. Oh, yeah. It's a phrase that the two main characters say a lot to apply to little things. And then Mark says, you can't hate people based on their ethnic background. And then Daryl says, oh, it's political correctness gone mad. <laughs> and it's like, yes. that is where we are living today, 100%, where political correctness just means don't be a, a blatant white supremacist. <laughs> they do an incredible job in that episode mm -hmm. because Mark does make friends with Daryl. And Mark mm -hmm. feels so good about it. He says, I've got a friend. I've made a friend. Maybe there's nothing wrong with me. Maybe and I'm just a normal person. Normal human <laughs> being. And it's heartbreaking because it's, it's so true. But then Daryl takes Mark to the World War II reenactments that he enjoys attending mm -hmm. and they are you know dressed in the German army regalia but they're not sure. wearing swastikas which right. is important and Daryl says Heil Hitler and one of the people in the reenactment turns to him and says you're not supposed to say that Daryl you know you're not supposed to say that yes. and so Mark starts piecing together oh no my new friends are racist but yeah. it takes him a really long time to tell him that that's not cool he really tries to avoid that as much as possible yeah again it's his fear of confrontation but it's also something that i think a lot of white people who are afraid of offending racists or the people that are sort of more closely identified with us like for example if you've ever been out in the world with a relative who's maybe a little bit more has more old-fashioned views than you and they say something embarrassing like what you immediately do is you apologize to the person that they've offended and say, oh my god, I'm so sorry, you have to excuse her because she was raised in a different time, as opposed to saying, no, Nana, that's not okay. Yep. It's the same thing with, like, when Daryl comes to the pub or whatever and Johnson is doing some sort of business and he says, like, when are people going to admit that you, you lot are just much more good at sports? And that's that. And then... Rather than trying to say, hey, that's not cool, Daryl. He says, oh, he thinks you're French. That's what he meant. He's trying to cover for the racist. And that's such a, an interesting knee-jerk reaction that white people do that we really need to train ourselves not to do because it's doing a lot more harm than good. And that's where Jeremy is kind of kick-ass again because Mark finally tells Jez what he thinks is happening. Mm -hmm. And Mark's like, yeah, next time I see him, I'm definitely going to confront him. And Jez says, you mean you didn't confront him? Yeah. <laughs> Which I yeah. love. 
Absolutely. I still want to know in ways in which you have ever identified with these guys. Falling instantly in love. I can build a whole future around someone that I've known for less than a minute because I like the way that they look. Oh, this is this is a great little Jeremy thing in the episode with Mummy the dog where he's thinking, I think I love her. I think I'm falling in love or getting a bone on, which is basically the same thing when you get rid of all the Valentine's cards and bullshit. Yep. yep. <laughs> that's that's me. Oh, same. Um there's this is another like very Jeremy sort of line of thought that I've had but in reverse, which is this thing about vaginas. <gasps> let's just let's play that clip. <laughs> he's, he's, he's in the just... club waiting to perform a gig and he just has this amazing little oh, it's so good. A lot of women here. Hmm, women. There they are walking around and they've all got them under their clothes hiding there. But I know the secret. Vaginas. She's got one. She's got one. She's got one. She's definitely got one. She's trying to make out she hasn't got one, but I know she has. Got to stop thinking about vaginas. It's my big night. Mm, vaginas. So Steph, I think I know the answer to this question, but did you find or even look for peep show porn? The title seems like it would preclude any sort of successful results. That's the thing, man. You can't even type peep show into Etsy without them trying to show you Oh, boobs. that's... Honestly, I mean, uh, typing peep show into Amazon, typing peep show into anything, you're gonna get nudie ladies. Like, <laughs> this has been plaguing me for yeah. years. So rather than you even know. try... I just thought, whatever, a perfect peep show porn, it ain't out there except in my mind. And and let's be honest, the porn that's in our mind is going to be better than anything that they could possibly execute with the camera attached to someone's head. Speaking of people's minds, I'm positive my mom is listening and she's thinking they should make one. (laughs) But unless we could get Robert Webb and David Mitchell to agree, there's really no point. I'm not going to stoop to asking Johnny Galecki and Josh. Which is what I said about Dougal porn. You would need to find someone who did such a good impression. I don't know. And you would need to probably recruit the original writers as well. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's Wait tough. a second. Why don't people do that? Why don't people write porn why, parodies why? of their own creations? Is there much money in Seriously? that? <laughs> who gives a shit? You are giving quality entertainment to the masses who are wanking off into flannels. Well. Kaylee, let's do that. Okay. No, let's let's write the romantic comedy we've always been saying we're going to write, yeah. and then let's immediately write the porn parody. It'll be like Ed Wood, <laughs> or like when they filmed the Spanish version of Dracula on the same set at night on the Universal oh, lot man. after filming the Bela Lugosi shit. Let's just do it. But oh my god, so let's let's envision a perfect. I mean, obviously it would need to be all just POV stuff. It would basically be exactly like an episode, but where you would see genitals. Have you ever watched POV porn? Probably. Okay. Interestingly, POV was also the original working title of the show before they changed it to Peep Show. And uh, they decided that that, that not enough people knew what POV was. And also there was, I think there was another similarly titled thing that was called POV and they didn't want people to be confused. But um, but then... That's a very porny title. Yeah, because again, if you typed POV porn, it would be even more (laughs) unlikely to come up with anything that isn't. Plus, like, it's very much a Jeremy Esborn, like, do you go for the P or the V? Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, baby. As with all of the other things that we've discussed, it wouldn't really be sexy. It would only be funny. But because it's funny, that's what would make it sexy. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, um, Mark and Johnson. Oh, obviously. Mark, like, blowing Johnson while Johnson does a spreadsheet. You know? <laughs> 
Yes. And a pile of Chinese. <laughs> a pile of Chinese food and a couple of fuck off spreadsheets. Oh my God. Yes. You could actually see Mark wanking into a flannel if that's your cup yeah. of tea. Oh my God. That would be such an incredible like recurring theme. Like like how there's always like one person watching through the window who starts like sexually it's a like peep masturbating. Show. It like, would be a real peep that show. Would be- yeah, that would be Mark, like, at several points. Like, Jeremy's in the other room yeah. having sex with someone, whether it's a woman or Joe or Superhands, and Mark could, like, be so annoyed and then eventually just yield to it. Yes. I mean, let's be honest. I think the thing that we most want to see is Jeremy and Mark. And fortunately, we get a little bit of a taste of that when we see them kissing each other during Spin the Bottle. Which they never discuss again. But yes, I I, ra- I rather enjoy that. I also rather enjoy the couple seconds you actually get to see of Robert Webb sexily kissing his boyfriend Joe on the floor. Oh, yeah. You didn't rewind that part? N- I rewound that part. No, I didn't. I'm more into, I think it's because it's like early seasons. I, I'm more into the, the Mark and Jeremy kiss. It's also just okay. funnier to me because knowing that they, like, they, they must not have enjoyed filming that. Which shouldn't make me like it more. I realize that that makes me sound awful. <laughs> That's not what I meant. Um, <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I just meant it in the same I way don't... that like it's funny when like comedy partners have to fight or have to do a love scene together. I love that so much. Yes. Oh, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh, oh man. man. When Suze and Jeremy are tripping on shrooms and Suze turns to him and says... Do you remember when we used to have our baths together and you did your Rick from the Young Ones impression impression with the rubber mouse? I was like, but that's my fantasy. Oh my God. Yeah. That, can we just show that? We don't even need to see his dick. We know how to find that on the internet, but we just, I just want to see him do that impression. Yeah. I mean, that, the very thought of that is better than porn. It's layers upon layers of hotness of of comedy gold. The very thought of being in a bath, A, that's very nice. Oh, I know. (laughs) <laughs> be in a bath with a man oh now we're getting somewhere I- i'm in a bath with robert webb mm-hmm. well how did how did this happen oh my god he's doing a rick from the young ones impression yeah this is all i need oh my god yeah no that's that's the ultimate fantasy oh my god another great line is when they're uh it, when jeremy wakes up mark on christmas morning and like gets under the covers with me and says what if our feet touch if our feet touch we fuck obviously <laughs> such a perfect it's such a perfect deconstruction of like fragile masculinity and like that is the level of internalized homophobia that so many men live with that they're afraid that if their feet touch it's gay and they have to have sex i know it's like you guys live together you guys share a bathroom you guys do so many intimate things that you deem fine but what if our feet touch they've already kissed by that point like several years ago uh jez has definitely seen mark's weird balls yeah and and jeremy walks around naked all the time he doesn't do that nearly enough man he only does that once i know it's all it's all i need though see that cute little butt really cute butt dude that, that's another thing is um when Mark throws a birthday party for himself, which ends mm-hmm. up being pathetic, and his sexy Australian date ends up making out with Jeff, and he has oh, no yes. one to dance with. Mm-hmm. And Jeremy's like, maybe we should dance. But mm-hmm. Mark says no. But 
There's yeah. so many ways that Jeremy's just a good friend, and their their man love makes me so so happy. In the episode where Mark goes to university to stalk April from the shoe store, Jeremy crashes their little get together at the professor's house, where Mark was hoping to like be all sophisticated and and talk about these intellectual things and live the life that he couldn't have because his dad wanted him to study business. And so Jeremy blows his cover and he says in front of everybody, "He's not a mature student. He's been a." loan manager for the last five years he lives with me and he eats ready meals and we play guess the revels and we watch men in black in front of our massive telly and we have a fucking good time and i think that that's such a perfect way to sum up this whole thing because on paper those are not impressive or good things but it really is all in how you frame everything and jeremy thinks that their life is fine even good and great and fun while mark takes the exact opposite view but like their, their life is sort of, you know, unimpressive and mediocre sort of is how I would frame my own. But looking at it through that sort of Jeremy lens, like, it's really not that bad. I have a fucking good life and we have a fucking good time talking about these comedies together. We do have a fucking good time. I love that quote as well. I do love that, you know, Jeremy's the optimist and Mark is the pessimist. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, like olive oil and vinegar, it's fucking delicious on Absolutely. a piece of bread and even when they're angry at each other i'm thinking about when jez befriends jeff so that mark can get closer to sophie but yes. then it all backfires and sophie and jeff go off together and mark uh jeremy turns to mark and says my mate and your woman have just gone off to fuck each other what are we gonna do now go build a tent in the living room and eat dairy lee is that <laughs> what you want because that's what's gonna happen yeah And I I just think of them as, like, kids sitting in a tent. Like, just kind of allies and partners and stuck together. And I love them so much. And I I feel like I know them. And You do. (laughs) I do. And there's rarely kind of a day that doesn't go by that some sort of interaction makes me think of one of them. And I don't know how I survived before this show, but I'm so glad I found it when I did. I know. Oh, perfection. Kaylee, what are we watching next? Next week, we're going to watch Coupling. Should be an interesting discussion. Okay, so now that we have just spent several hours talking about how perfect and flawless like and relatable this one show is, (laughs) talk about Mrs. Haversham wanking into a flannel while the rest of the world has wonderful sex with each other. That is how coupling makes me feel for sure, man. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, I can't wait to dive into that. That's going to be really fun. Oh, man. Well, until next week, keep sending us all your lovely tweets and Instagram shit at Anglo Podcast. And if you've got any comments, questions, concerns, Concerns, email us at anglophiliapodcast at gmail.com. Visit our website for merchandise, blog posts, and more. That's at anglophiliapodcast.com. Also, if you want to give us a rating or review, that would really help us out wherever you get your podcasts. And finally, if you would consider visiting our Patreon page and becoming a patron, you will get early access to episodes. You will get exclusive access to extended cuts only for our Patreon patrons, as well as other bonus content yet to be determined. You know, anglophilia is a labor of love. Doing it is its own reward. But it is also really, really time consuming. So if you want to kick a couple bucks our way to show your love, we would super appreciate that. So until next time. Eh, 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 eh. Goodbye, y'all.